All right. Good morning, everyone. Let's do a show. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number 193. Happy Monday to you. Um, I see some comments in chat over on Rumble about last night's episode of Defected. Uh, yeah, that was a, that, that was a good episode. I mean, it was just a, a good episode, period. Um, if you missed it, over on Badlands, me and Burning Bright Sunday night show. Um, I, like, we... um. We 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 casually planned out what we were going to talk about, but I I was I told BB before we went live that um, his article about fear um, was one of my favorite things that he had written, and it really it, it really touched me, and uh, that it brought back uh, that memory and those thoughts that I that I shared last night, and I didn't know I told him I don't know if I'm going to get into this personal story tonight but I may. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, if you feel like it, let's do it. And, um, I got, I gotta say, uh, I just kept feeling more and more compelled to share. And I am so glad that I did. Uh, and I, I'm so thankful for what, what burning bright shared afterward and his personal story. And, um, 
that was just that was just some real stuff. Like that was just that was just me and and BB just um relating our 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 very personal stories and um some of what we've been through that has made us who we are and informed our worldview and um yeah just real stuff and uh that's right Iowa Trump good morning sometimes you are led to do it and that's just it just felt right and um I'm glad I did and I'm really thankful for all the uh positive feedback that I've gotten from that and uh yeah last night I got I I mean it just it just uh it felt special it just it just felt special and uh after the show we had um uh, Bernie Bright and I had a good long talk and um Good stuff, man. Just good stuff. So, if you missed it, Defected episode twenty. It's over on Badlands Rumble channel. Um, go check it out. We we spent most of the we spent most of the show talking about the the narrative battle of Trump being arrested and whatnot. Um, but then in the last third of the show, we got into some personal stories about f- dealing with fear and dealing with life and and talking about. Um, moments in our lives, like near death experiences and stuff. So, um, it was good stuff. All right. Today y'all know we're going to be talking about, um, we're going to be talking about the, the potential of a Trump arrest. I got some stuff to go through and, um, and then I'm going to hit on a couple other news articles and I'm going to go into the, uh, the Mackey conviction. Um, and, uh, probably upset some people. <laughs> I upset a lot of people with my take on it. Uh, but I feel conviction about it. So I feel strongly about my take on it. I, I feel, um, and, and I'm going to share it. I I've looked, I haven't seen the Trump indictment being unsealed. If it is unsealed then I want to jump on it. Um, the, the, the reporting is that it won't be unsealed until tomorrow when his arrest happens. Allegedly that's what's going to happen. Um, but if for some reason it's unsealed this morning, then I want to jump on it and try and cover it this morning. So if anybody sees that news, feel free to post it in chat with a link and we'll see if that's the real deal. If it is unsealed, if it's unsealed tonight, then I may go live tonight to try and cover it. I mean, this is, this is a huge, huge news and I want to, um, I want to read the entire indictment and, follow the threads from it. I'm going to follow this thing. Um, similarly to what I did with Sussman and Danchenko on Tuesday evening, when Trump is supposed to do his address at Mar-a-Lago, we on Badlands are planning on going live and covering that. And I am planning on being a, being a part of that. So, um, if it is unsealed to, if it, if it is unsealed tomorrow, which it's supposed to be, then what I'm going to do is I'll do live on Badlands to cover Trump's speech and give some basic commentary. And then Wednesday morning on the show, we should have the indictment in hand and um, I'll read the whole thing. And that's that will be our Wednesday morning show. So. Those those are my those are my plans right now. Um, also, I don't have anything on the horizon that should interrupt my Friday show, fingers crossed. So I'm planning on doing a show on Friday for the first time in like three weeks. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but we'll see we'll see what comes up so um all right i i see y'all's comments y'all gonna get y'all gonna get me all uh y'all gonna get me all emotional again <laughs> so i gotta i gotta stop looking at that stuff all right let's talk about um let's talk about this trump arrest news some of this is going to be a retread from last night but we're going to get into some more details So I really was taking kind of a victory lap last week. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, it's kind of, it's kind of both. I felt like I was taking a victory lap a bit last week with the news that the, um, the grand jury, the Brad, Manhattan grand jury was going on a month long vacation after there had been all this reporting that an indictment was imminent. So I was feeling like, okay, I'm going to take a victory lap here, uh, because I was right not to believe the fake news that Trump was actually going to be indicted. Um, but I also didn't feel like taking a victory victory lap because I was like, well, this is the easiest thing to possibly predict. We've been at this at this point so many times before where the media reports over and over again that Trump is about to be indicted. He's going to be arrested, the, arrested. The walls are finally closing in on Trump. And then the walls close in on Trump's enemies. And so it was really easy to just be like, this ain't going to happen. It's never happened before. And we've been here so many times before and heard this same story. Um, so in a way, I was taking a victory lap. And in another way, I was like, I'm not even, no, I'm not even celebrating this because uh, it was easy. But we were, I was having a good laugh about it. And we had a good laugh on um, Devolution Power Hour. Um, but then on Friday, when this news broke, I really sat on it. And my first take is the take that I, I still feel very strongly this is this is still my my view of it that the leaks are real and the news is fake until i see an actual indictment and i've never lots of people have come to me and and said trump's going to be arrested at some point have made various argues, arguments to me about why they think that trump would be arrested at some point as part of an overall plan that it needed to happen either to set a precedent or um, to introduce evidence, or because it lines up with the Q drops or something. And I thought it was interesting to make that argument, but I've never felt that it was compelling. And I've never felt that an arrest of Trump was needed. So I've ne I just never have been a fan of that, and I've said that before. But I do think that whether this is real or fake... I don't, I don't really see a downside. If it's real, then he just won the endorsement of every politician who's worth a damn. Because if, if this is really what they're alleging it to be, then you're going to see so many politicians, in some you probably didn't expect, who are Democrats, and that they're going to turn and they're going to back Trump. And I'm not saying they're going to back everything about him, but they're going to defend him against a political prosecution. Not saying all of them will, but you'll be surprised who you see turn out to say, no, this is wrong. This should not be happening in America. And if it's real or not, Trump just won the GOP primary. Like that last this this was a gift to Trump. They gave him all the oxygen in the room. They made him a a martyr, whether he actually is indicted or not, he's become a, a martyr-like figure. Um 
His power has only increased. His power and influence is right now greater than it has ever been. And it's one of these crazy things. You know, I've, I've posted many times about how Trump wins, they lose every single time. And even here, where Trump is supposedly going to be indicted tomorrow and arrested, Trump wins and they lose every time. It's, it's amazing. If this is really if this is real that he is indicted then by the time November 2024 comes around he'll have more support than any president ever Now if it's fake then I think it's the greatest April Fools joke of all time and I think that it's a powerful lesson in how the fake news media works where they take le- take leaks and they misreport what those leaks actually say. And if that is what it is, if that's, and that's still like, I think it's a really strong possibility that Trump is not actually indicted. It's someone else that's indicted. And the fake news media has run with leaks that are giving them misinformation. And Trump And his people, his lawyers, they haven't seen the indictment. Nobody has. So they're responding to it based off of this fake news. I could see that happening. I could see it turning out that... And these are the three possibilities for tomorrow. One, it's all fake news. And Trump is not indicted. It's someone else or someone's else. And... uh, It's a powerful lesson in how fake news works and Trump takes a victory lap and uh, the fake news media is in shambles because they've literally been lying for days about this. That's one possibility. Two is that Trump is indicted and he takes the most what will be the most famous and awesome mugshot in the history of the world. It'll be be instantly become the most powerful mugshot, the most famous, the most infamous, the most legendary historic mugshot in all of human history. And he can put it on T-shirts and mugs and hats and posters, and he'll put it in campaign ads, and it'll just be awesome. Oh, and he'll also defeat these charges easily. Or three, it's put off and delayed. Bragg says, never mind, we're not gonna we're not gonna unseal the indictment right now. We've changed our minds, something's come up, whatever. And then Trump isn't arrested tomorrow, and we're back to where we were a week ago with the grand jury taking a month off. I could picture any of those three things happening. Either way, I, I don't see how there's a downside for Trump or MAGA. And one thing that has given me confidence and one thing that is like really uh, positioned me um, against any sort of plan that involves Trump getting arrested is that Trump has been a DOJ asset for decades. And I've made that case on this show a number of times. 
Um, and that's not how things work with assets. The DOJ isn't going to arrest their own asset. They're going to protect their asset. And that's what they've done with Trump and his organization is that they've used them as bait and or um, evidence gatherers um, as part of their stings on various mafia members and other criminals and crooked lawyers and uh, other people. And DOJ protects Trump and protects the Trump org. And even when someone like Cy Vance gets close to indicting Trump, what happens? Well, Cy Vance told the uh, Daily Mail that he got close to indicting Trump and that SDNY stepped in and told him no. Where is it? He was asked, why didn't you charge the hush money case? This was on Meet the Press on Sunday morning. Never mind. I'm sorry. He didn't. Cy Vance didn't tell Daily Mail. This was on Meet the Depressed with Chuck Todd. Why didn't you ever charge hit in 2018, 2019, or 2020? And Vance said, I don't want to get into deliberations that might be covered by grand jury material. But as I believe you know, I was asked by the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Southern District to stand down on our investigation, which had commenced involving the Trump Organization. And he said, as soon as someone who respects that office a great deal and believing that they may have perhaps the best laws to investigate, I did so. And the way I read this is that the SDNY, who Trump has worked with many times over the past decades and who Rudy Giuliani has worked with many times over the past several decades, including as recently as 2021, and possibly even more recent than that, because I think there's a fair chance that Rudy is part of the group that um, busted Miles Guo. DOJ has stepped in to protect Trump and to protect the Trump org because they are their, they are one of their, if not their, if not the best asset that they have when it comes to catching bad guys. And this is how Trump kept, caught the swamp. I know that a lot of people put forth that um, Trump caught the swamp because of military intelligence or something like that. I don't think so. I'm not saying that's not part of it, but I think the real part, the real essence, the real core of Trump catching the swamp is that he is a DOJ asset who the swamp went after. And Trump said, come and get me. Because he's recording everything. He's the bait in the trap. He's the quicksand. He's the guy. He's Batman. He's literally Batman, and he's gathering all this data, all this evidence on all these bad actors, and that he's turning it over to DOJ. And DOJ has never been out to get Trump. Individuals in the DOJ have, but DOJ as an operation has never been out to get Trump. That's always been narrative shielding by Trump and his allies to protect him as an asset and to protect the sting that he is running or that he is part of. 
and the people that were a part of the DOJ that did actually try to go after Trump and get him were turned over to Horowitz and Durham. That's part of the sting. By Trump baiting them into going after him for Russia, 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 and all these other things, they've caused the bad actors that were within the DOJ, within the deep state, to expose themselves as those bad actors. And they made terrible mistakes in their pursuit of him. So I've had a difficult time with the idea that Trump would ever be arrested because why would DOJ arrest their own asset? I noticed Trump posted this recently. He said, I'm going to read the bottom one first. He said, they, have, they talking about Manhattan DA, they have closely studied 11 million pages of documents, financial records, and tax returns, some gotten illegally, billions of dollars worth of deals and transactions, and they've gotten nothing. After eight years of various politically motivated investigations, hoaxes, scams, and witch hunts, this must make me the most honest and honorable man anywhere in the world. Nobody in history has ever been through the scrutiny that I have. Make America great again. Eight years, 11 million pages, no errors, no affair, no misdemeanor, no crime, no case. I take this pretty literally right here. You know, there's BB and I talk about the asides that Trump does and how Trump will speak to multiple audiences at once. But right here, I take this literally no errors, no affair, no misdemeanor, no crime, no case. And I can't, I just can't shake this feeling of. Either we're going to get no indictment of Trump tomorrow, or this is some sort of plan. And I've been very, like I said, I've been very resistant to this idea that Trump needed to be arrested. Um, and I'll just go ahead and say, for anybody who thinks that the drop about the first arrest and the first indictment unseal has anything to do with Trump, I, I, I made a video about that recently. The first arrest already happened and the first indictment unseal already happened. And Q told us that it already happened. And if you look on my Rumble Clips channel, you'll find a clip of me going over that. Um, but a lot of people still think that. A lot of people still think that the first arrest hasn't happened and neither has the first indictment. And I've noticed a theme with a lot of people confusing multiple Q drops. They're not actually quoting the actual what the actual drop says. They're they're it's kind of like a game of telephone. And uh it's been they've said it so many times or read it so many times, they've got it kind of mixed up. So anyway, if you're interested in that, I'm, I've recently made a video and the clip is on my clips channel. You can find the link for it in the description on Rumble or on my link tree. You can find the link for it. And uh, I explain who the first arrest was and who the first indictment unseal was and why I'm telling you it already happened and how Q confirmed that it already happened. By the way, uh, a lot of I've seen some rants coming through. Really appreciate that. Um, B. Worsley, thank you for correcting me on the quote that I said last night. It was Seneca, and I should have known better. I should have. I, sh I I knew. I knew it was one of my favorite Stoic authors, but at the time I just could not recall 
which one. And it's we are more often frightened than hurt and we suffer more from imagination than from reality. One of the truest, truest statements I've ever heard. It is so true. By the way, B. Worsley has an awesome um, profile pic right there. Nice. Very nice. Um, I think it, I don't know if it's IKW Cross or LKW Cross, uh, but thank you very much. Um, much appreciated the comments, and thank you for becoming a monthly supporter. Also, Chris W., thank you very much for becoming a monthly supporter. It's awesome that Rumble has added this monthly supporter feature, and um, your entire dollar goes to me. Rumble doesn't take a cut, which is unheard of in the streaming world, that the that the platform isn't taking a cut. So thank you very much. Uh, Bear BL, that's incredibly generous of you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. They say, just, just want to say thank you for keeping me from the despair of the doomers. That's awesome. If I can, if I can do that, then that's, that's, that's op success in my book. Thank you very much. Shut the F up, Carl <laughs> says good morning <laughs> and is a monthly supporter. Thank you. Uh, Sammy the squirrel says, Kyle, everyone is talking about Trump not being allowed to hold rallies. Can you clear this up, please? It's not that he wouldn't be able to hold rallies. That's incorrect. I'll get into that shortly. Um, LSS922 says, yeah, T-shirts, Giza sheets, baby bibs, et cetera. What moneymaker it would be, Trump Trump uh, a mugshot. Um, JC Bird, good morning, and thank you very much for becoming a monthly supporter. Uh, God bless you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Um, so this is a, this right here from Dawson. I want to, I want to read this uh, thread to you because it's pretty important. I think it's a must read. Um, so he writes, so it appears, and I would say emphasis on appears. It appears that the Manhattan DA's office has indicted Donald Trump. So what opportunities does this open up? Why now and why now is important. DA Alvin Bragg's office has confirmed the indictment in two places. One is attributed to a spokesperson and the other is his office's general counsel. Is it odd he hasn't personally confirmed it? I don't know. But unless he's planning the biggest April Fool's joke of all time, it's real. According to the New York Times, according to the New York Times, the indictments are felony charges for falsifying business records. They require the courts to find that the records were falsified to cover up another crime. Otherwise, this is just a misdemeanor. New York doesn't have jurisdiction to decide federal election crimes. Which is another, which is another um, thing about this that makes it seem like it's going to fall apart. Um, this makes it very interesting as it's similar to Gore's defense for illegal Chinese fundraising when he claimed that there was no controlling legal authority 
about those election crimes. Gore argued that judges had not found a case where his specific circumstances violated the law. And this, this is from the, the New York Times article. It, it notes, although the specific charges remain unknown, and here we are 24 hours or thereabouts before the arrest happens and the charges are still unknown, Mr. Bragg's prosecutors have zeroed in on that hush money payment and the false records created by Mr. Trump's company. A conviction is not a sure thing. Even the New York Times says this. An attempt to combine a charge related to the false records with an election violation relating to the payment to Ms. Daniels would be based on a legal theory that has yet to be evaluated by judges, raising the possibility that a court order could throw out or limit the charges. This is very critical in establishing mens rea, the legal state of a guilty mind. Knowing what you did violated the law and doing it anyway. It is very important in a criminal case where you have to prove intent to violate the law. Does anyone think that Bragg can prove that Trump knew that he was violating the law? So many Dems think Trump is not very smart. So that opens the door to the argument that he did not know the law. See how that works? It's funny how the, how the Democrats keep on stepping in it. Trump's team could argue this, that Trump was unaware, and that would remove intent and guilt. And it would actually be arguing something that the left has popularly argued for a long time. Especially when he can rely upon the claim that his lawyer, Michael Cohen, told him it was okay to do this. Trump tweeted his alibi back in May 3rd, 2018. He wrote, Mr. Cohen, an attorney, received a monthly retainer, not from the campaign, and having nothing to do with the campaign, from which he entered into, through reimbursement, a private contract between two parties, known as a non-disclosure agreement or NDA. These agreements are very common among celebrities and people of wealth. In this case, it is in full force and effect and will be used in arbitration for damages against Ms. Clifford Daniels. The agreement was used to stop the false and extortionist accusations made by her about an affair. So Trump has already said publicly years ago, I was paying Michael Cohen. I was paying him. Not my campaign. And so all this falls onto Cohen. It gets even better as both attorneys involved in the agreement, Cohen and Avenatti, were prosecuted and sentenced to prison for various federal crimes. But that will make it much harder to convince a jury that Cohen is telling the truth about anything. Cohen pled guilty to crimes with a maximum sentence of 75 years. Cohen was sentenced to three years in the cushiest prison in America, but only served one because of COVID. It makes it very easy to argue Cohen pled guilty to the election charge to get a deal. Fortunately for Trump, that election charge is the essential element of every felony charge, 
Without that crime, the falsifying records charges are just misdemeanors. But a New York state prosecutor does not have jurisdiction over federal election laws, which makes this case very weak. The Federal Election Commission is the body designated by law to handle violations of federal election laws. So while Cohen pled guilty to a violation of the law that he could have, be could have beat at trial, there was no controlling legal authority within FEC case law on the matter. And this is a from the FEC response of Donald Trump for President Incorporated. He writes, whatever the facts may be, this commission has been unwilling to extend its jurisdiction to reach such payments, recognizing that they fall beyond the campaign finance matters subject to its regulation. In order to get the FEC, in order to get the complaint before the FEC, the complainants had to make the false allegation that rent payments from the campaign to Trump Tower were the payments to Stormy Daniels, fictionally making it a campaign committee involvement. This is how their trick worked. In order to trump this up, the complaints alleged that the committee failed to report an in-kind contribution and corresponding expenditure of a payment of $130,000 purportedly made to Stephanie Clifford around October 27, 2016. The committee provided no funds to make any payment to Ms. Clifford. See the attachment. Now, let's look at the footnote. The footnote says the complaint suggests that a $130,000 lease payment to Trump Tower Commercial LLC made in December 21st, 2016, so months after, and reported on the committee's 2016 year-end report filed in January 31st committee's rental of a headquarters for $128,000 and a campaign store for $2,275 at Trump Tower and was made under the terms of an amended lease agreement executed by the committee in Trump Tower after Election Day. Argument. A long line of commission precedent establishes that, as a matter of law, the type of third-party payment alleged in the complaints, even if made, would not be considered an in-kind contribution to the committee because it is not a campaign-related transaction made for the purpose of influencing a federal election. Why is this important? The only evidence that this was for the purpose of influencing a federal election is Cohen signing a plea deal, or a guilty plea, excuse me, under advice of his attorneys that he didn't write, and New York state law has no jurisdiction to decide if a federal election law was broken, and the FEC failed to find Donald Trump or anyone else had committed this election crime. They failed to find proof beyond a reasonable doubt, not failed to find reason to believe that those election crimes occurred. The commission failed by vote of two to two to find a reason to believe that Donald J. Trump knowingly and will, willing, willfully violated 52 U.S.C. 30116F by knowingly accepting excessive contributions from Michael D. Cohen. They find reason to believe that Donald J. Trump knowingly and willfully violated it by knowing, knowingly accepting a corporate contribution from the Trump organization or will, knowingly and willfully violated 52 U.S.C. 3116F by knowingly accepting an excessive contribution from the Trump Organization. It is So the FEC already looked at this matter, and the FEC was like, 
We can't find it. We can't find a crime here. That's something else that Trump's attorneys will have in their back pocket is they can say, look, the FEC, the commission that is charged with investigating federal election crimes, has already looked at this exact matter and said, nah, there's no there there. So it is very unlikely that the DA's novel theory will survive, will survive court review when he has no legal jurisdiction over the crime he is alleging happened. So the false records can't be a felony under current precedent. Very important to remember that. Dems argue that some staff investigators thought there was reason to investigate in the unlikely event that Bragg gets a ruling to say that the FEC dropping an investigation still means the crime was committed. Well, that's very bad news for Hillary's campaign. You guys may remember that the FEC looked at Hillary this time last year and handed down this time last year a fine for her paying for the, uh, the Fusion GPS and the dossier and all that. They found that she, the FEC found that Hillary Clinton campaign committed a violation of federal election law and fined them several hundred thousand dollars. So why is it bad news for Hillary? Well, because the DNC and Hillary's campaign has a similar 2-2 dismissal of a campaign violation case. But it wasn't $130,000 barely connected to the election. It was for laundering $83 million through state party offices to the DNC to allow excessive contributions to Hillary for America. So, if Bragg's novel theory survives court review, then that opens the door to Hillary for America and the DNC and Hillary Clinton to be held accountable for laundering $83 million through various state party offices. And don't you know there are a bunch of attorney generals and local prosecutors around the country who wouldn't mind one bit making a name for themselves by going after the DNC and Hillary for America and Hillary Clinton herself for whatever monies were laundered through the state party offices within their jurisdiction. It's also not based on the testimony of a convicted perjurer, that being the Hillary Clinton case. The FEC had the receipts. Donors would give to the Hillary Victory Fund. Dollars would be dispersed to 40 states to hide excessive donations, then immediately back to the DNC and Hillary for America. From the FSC filing related to this matter, contribution limits 52 USC 30116A1B as adjusted for inflation by 80 federal regulation at 5072 permitted a person to contribute no more 
than $33,400 per year to a national political party's committee's principal account during the 2015 to 2016 election cycle. Reporting requirements require all political committees other than authorized committees of a candidate to file periodic reports with the FEC. It specifies that such reports, reports must disclose the total amount of contributions from other political committees and transfer from affiliated committees and where the reporting committee is a political party committee transfers from other political party committees, regardless of whether such committees are affiliated. The next section specifies such reports for political party committees must disclose each transfer of funds from another political committee. The next section specifies such reports for political committees must disclose each transfer of funds to another political committee, regardless of whether the committees are affiliated, together with the transfer date and such, the amount of such transfers. Non-authorized committees must also disclose the date and the amount of any contribution from a political committee. And all, all contributions made by a person, either directly or indirectly, on or, or on behalf of a particular candidate, including contributions which are in any way earmarked or otherwise directed through an intermediary or conduit to such candidate, shall be treated as contributions from such person to such candidate. The intermediary or conduit shall report the original source and the intended recipient of such contribution to the commission and to the intended recipient. According to reports filed with the FEC by HVF, the DNC, that's the Hillary Victory Fund, HVF, the DNC and dozens of Democratic state parties for more than a year, over $80 million in contributions to Hillary Victory Fund were funneled through state parties to the DNC, which made coordinated expenditures with the Clinton campaign and was controlled by it. According to reports filed with the FEC in each series of transactions, Hillary Victory Fund dispersed contributions it received to its state party committee members as required for JFCs, and those state parties received the funds the same day. HVF would disperse funds to up to 40 state parties at a time. That same day, or on occasion the very next day, each and every one of those state parties immediately contributed, contributed all the funds to the DNC. You see how they were laundering it? Why is this important? Well, in the unlikely event, Bragg secures a court ruling that he can prosecute Trump for an uncharged federal campaign funding violation what happens? It sets the precedent that state DAs in all 40 states, including New York, can charge the DNC, Hillary, and her campaign. From the filings, according to reports filed with the FEC, in each series of transactions, transactions Hillary Victory Fund dispersed contributions it received to state party members. And those state parties received the funds the same day. HVF would disperse funds up to 40 parties at a time. And that same day on occasion, the very next day, each and every one of those state parties immediately contributed all the funds back to the DNC. It appears virtually every single disbursement from the Hillary Victory Fund to a state party resulted in an immediate transfer of the same amount of funds from the state party to the DNC. Over 99% 
of funds transferred through the Hillary Victory Fund to state parties wound up at the DNC, which, as explained below, made coordinated expenditures with Hillary for America and otherwise spent its funds subject to the oversight, direction, and control of Hillary for America. The uniformity, regularity, magnitude, immediacy, and extent of these reported transfers, every single state party transferring every single disbursement it received from HVF in its entirety, exclusively to the DNC, immediately upon receipt, unavoidably implies that Hillary Victory Fund's members had an understanding or agreement they would automatically funnel funds they received through HVF to the DNC. Now, it gets worse for Hillary before it gets worse. What did Cohen build Trump for? Legal services. What did Hillary pay Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele for through her lawyer, Mark Elias and Perkins Coie? Legal services. FEC found probable cause. DNC and Hillary for America paid fines to resolve the case from February 17th, 2022. That was what I was just referring to. It's just a coincidence. It was on the 17th of February, by the way. Totally a coincidence that that happened on that specific day. We learned through this, we learned this, excuse me, we learned this through Durham's prosecution of Michael Sussman. And yet another reason why I I just don't give a damn what the Black Pillars say about Durham. They're so incredibly wrong. They're so incredibly wrong. And here's an example of why they're so incredibly wrong. We learned thanks to Durham's prosecution of Michael Sussman, that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democrat National Committee falsified business records to conceal from the FEC that it was paying Fusion GPS and Steel by calling it legal services. Here is the DNC and Hillary campaign's confession that they falsified business records and submitted them to the federal agency to commit an election crime, claiming that their lawyer said it was okay to do that. In 2016, Perkins Coie engaged Fusion GPS to provide research services related to the respondent and Hillary for America. Perkins Coie paid over $1 million to Fusion GPS in 2016. As stated in the commission's factual and legal analysis between July 15, 2016 and August 26, 2016, the respondent paid $849,000 plus to Perkins Coie for what was alleged in the complaints to be opposition research done by Fusion GPS. Respondent reported the purpose of the $782,000 plus of these payments to Perkins Coie was legal and compliance consulting on its disclosure reports. Respondent contends that it filed the relevant reports based on its understanding that the reported purposes of the disbursement at issue were done in accordance with the law and commission guidelines. Respondent further contends that Perkins Coie retained Fusion GPS and further into its legal services provided to respondent HFA and that Fusion GPS performed research at the direction of Perkins Coie. Um, 
Okay. Into the matter that would assist Perkins Coie in providing legal advice and services to the respondent and Hillary for America, including in anticipation of litigation. Respondent further contends that the fact that Fusion GPS may have conducted research relating to an opposition candidate does not mean that the research was not conducted in furtherance of legal services that Perkins Coie was performing on behalf of the respondent in HFA. Respondent also contends that the substance of the work performed by Fusion GPS is protected under the attorney-client privilege and work product doctrine. Well, that tees me up nicely to remind everyone that another reason I don't give a damn what the Black Pillars say about Durham is that line right there, because Durham busted down the attorney-client privilege and the work product doctrine that Fusion GPS and Fusion and uh, Perkins Coie and Hillary for America had been hiding behind. And Durham got access to their emails and their documents. But nothing is happening, right? Right. The FEC exonerated Perkins Coie, Elias Steel, and Fusion GPS and placed all of the blame on the DNC and Hillary for America. For the reasons set forth below, we recommend that the commission, one, find reason to believe that HFA and DNC violated 52 U.S.C. 30104B5A by failing to properly report fusion as the payee with respect to certain disbursements, and two, take no action at this time with respect to the purposes of such disbursements that were reported by the committees. They dismissed the allegations against Elias and Perkins Coie and allegedly aiding and abetting filing of inaccurate disclosures, and dismissed the allegations against Steele, and dismissed the allegations against Elias and HFA, and dismissed the allegations against Fusion. Now, for some, you would think, well, I can't, I don't like it that they dismissed the charges against Elias and Steele and Perkins Coie and Fusion. I, I want them held accountable too. Well, they did that so that they could place all the blame on the DNC and Hillary for America. If they hadn't done that, then the DNC and Hillary for America would say, no, it wasn't us, it was them. Unsubstantiated reports claim the DOJ is very upset that Bragg brought this weak case and that its dismissal or Trump's acquittal will sabotage other cases against Trump. The GOP swamp seems very upset that Bragg is indicting Trump, but this may be more about timing. This case will almost certainly fall apart before the 2024 election cycle. It will also occur in a courtroom where evidence, not fake news, rules. Which means... Hold on just a second. I need to take care of something. There we go. Um, which means any swampy effort to engineer big news and allegations against Trump during the primary season in early 2024 are going to be much more difficult. It's like how the timing of the first impeachment prevented Hillary's friends from using her dossier against Biden, and he won.
I don't know if you guys have fully appreciated this yet. It took me a long time. But Biden doesn't work for the swamp anymore. And in 2020, we had two candidates for office, Trump and Biden, who neither one of them was working for the swamp. That's why Trump baited the DNC and the Democrats into making Biden the nominee. You guys never, you guys don't really think that the deep state wanted Biden to be the nominee, do you? You got, you guys don't really think that the DNC and the deep state thought Biden was a good candidate, do you? That's not, that's not who they wanted. Trump baited them into nominating Biden. And now Biden's in there. And all of MAGA is thinking, oh, Biden's so bad. He's a swamp creature. He's deep state. He's fraud, whatever. He's a crook, whatever. And so many of the allegations against Biden may be true. But he's not working for the swamp anymore. He stopped working for the swamp once, once his his son started leaving laptops lying around all the around around everywhere, loaded with evidence, loaded with evidence about his family's crimes. <laughs> if the GOP establishment and faux MAGA go after Trump while the base is rallying around him, they will sabotage themselves. Which means no February surprise to get a swampy candidate to win the GOP nomination. And if the legal precedents are set and this does approach a trial, Trump and DOJ may have to play the Trump card that might mess up the J6 and classified documents investigation of the swamp. After all, DOJ doesn't want to reveal to the swamp that Trump is an FBI asset and has been catching everyone. So maybe they will intervene and file that under seal with Bragg or the court. And a lot, a lot of people are like, what is the Trump card? Is this the Trump card? Is this over here the Trump card? If anything is the Trump card, it's this. It's DOJ intervening under seal in a court case that should never have been brought because Trump is clean and saying, yeah, you're going to have to go ahead and drop this case because this guy's one of ours. And it could happen. 
It could go down that way. I think this is the one I wanted to go to next. I think it is. Yeah. So from my Substack templates, the very end of it, I make the case that there's this pattern here with Project Veritas and Michael Cohen and Rudy and the Mar-a-Lago raid and all of these things where they the FBI does some sort of raid and the and the media on the left are like, yeah, the FBI is going after these people because they're crooked. And the media on the right are like, the FBI is corrupt. But really what's going on is it's evidence collection. And these people are not the target. Project Veritas was not the target in the raid that the FBI conducted on them. And Cohen wasn't the target in the raid on him. And Rudy wasn't the target in the raid on him. And Mar-a-Lago wasn't the target in the raid on, on there. Trump wasn't the target in the raid on Mar-a-Lago. And each one of filter team and a special master was used. And I believe this is a template. It's a template for going after the deep state. And they're gathering evidence and they're setting precedent and establishing a framework for how they can conduct future raids on people like Mark Elias and HRC and the DNC and the New York Times and whoever else. And when those raids happen, our side will be cheering instead of bemoaning, oh, FBI bad. And we've already experienced a little bit of this because we had all these different properties of Biden's get a visit from the FBI in the recent months, right? His office at the Penn Biden Center, his, uh, his home in Delaware, his Rehoboth Beach home, and also the, the uh, University of Delaware, four locations being visited by the FBI to gather documents. And the only reason it wasn't a raid in the media is because the Biden team told the FBI, yeah, it's okay, you can go ahead. Let's, we'll go ahead and do some paperwork to allow you to have access to these areas. And so because it's Biden and because they had this agreement beforehand, they managed for it to not be called a raid because the FBI didn't go and get a, um, a subpoena or a search warrant, excuse me, a search warrant to uh, conduct those. But with these, they got a search warrant for them. And I expect with Elias and HRC and New York Times and others, they'll get a search warrant for those too. As I covered in um, the uh, Small Clues substack recently, they got a search warrant for a New York Times journalist. But here I am, I'm finding myself wondering if I became so focused on the Mar-a-Lago raid and the classified documents case and the precedents that I just mentioned there that I missed the potential significance of the Manhattan DA's grand jury. And reading that thread from Dawson and how he's pointing out this matter between Hillary and the FEC and her laundering 80 plus million dollars in that way. It makes me think, Oh, well, Perhaps I missed a trick here. 
because the way this, what this opens up, the possibilities that this opens up to go after Hillary for laundering all that money, that door gets opened by what Bragg is doing, but Bragg opens it with a case that is so weak and flawed that it can be thrown out and Trump is never actually convicted or it doesn't even see a trial. So it's like, it's like a package that's meant to fail, but also meant to just open this door to local prosecutors being able to go after these types of crimes, which have normally fallen under the FEC's, um, um, FEC's jurisdiction and their mission. So I'm like, huh, did... Is that, is that the trick here? Is that the play? That Bragg is bringing something so weak, it's doomed to fail, but it manages to open the door anyway. It's like a breach, like a breach charge or something. Like, like it only needs to open the door. It doesn't need to do anything else besides that. It doesn't need to do any more damage than that. It's just opening it, just breaching that door, opening, opening that box, opening it up to future prosecutions. And I think that's, I think that's it. If this, if this, if Trump is indicted, then I think that would be the play. And it looks like this guy, I mentioned this, this article last night, um, on defected, this opinion from the New York times and BB made a really good point guys that the New York times is the intelligence paper of record there what gets printed there even when it's an opinion it's almost every single time the opinion that is an approved opinion of the new york times editorial board so they're publishing it because their board is thinking this in this article Trump's prosecution has set a dangerous precedent. Oh, I love that title. And this is by this guy named Cardori, who is a former federal prosecutor. I would like to present to you what he has to say. Now, filters on, right? Filters on. We're reading the New York Times here, so don't get triggered by it. You are probably not alone in the news of Donald Trump's indictment seemed a little stra slightly strange. How could something so big, the first criminal indictment of an American president, seem so small? Mr. Trump was not indicted for his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election or for engaging in egregious financial fraud to increase his wealth or even for allegedly obstructing the special counsel Mueller's Russia investigation which many once thought was the best avenue prosecutors had to ensnare the former president. Isn't it? Oh, it's glorious. It's so glorious that so many people still don't understand the Mueller special counsel. <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, it's so good. It's so good for the Patriots and the white hats. <laughs> they still can't years later, they still can't figure it out. Instead, the Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg, or this guy does understand it. And he's just playing along in order to get published in the New York Times. It could be either or. Um, 
So instead, the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, a Democrat, and his team of prosecutors had brought the country back six and a half years to the final weeks of the 2016 election when Mr. Trump paid the adult film star Stormy Daniels to prevent her from going public with a story about an affair she said they had while Mr. Trump was married. Uh, Newsflash, affairs aren't crimes. Just letting you know, affairs are um, wrong. They're sinful. They're offensive, but they're not a crime. The details of what the indictment contains remain unknown. Its contents will be unsealed after Mr. Trump turns himself in, most likely next week, but it is expected to charge the former president with falsifying business records of payment, disguising the payoff as routine legal fees. That is a crime. Yeah, well, no, actually it's not. The John Edwards case ruled that that wasn't a crime. The John Edwards case ruled that, no, actually, it's not a crime for someone to to do these things and to disguise their payments to a mistress as being something else. What is a crime is if they did it and they falsified their reporting to the FEC, then those could be crimes. But we'll see what the charges exactly are. Anyway, back to the article. It is far from clear how this case will end. No matter what the precise charges are, the prosecution will raise unusual and arguably novel legal issues. Michael Cohen, who seems to be the key witness, may not be credible enough to persuade a jury to convict Mr. Trump, even in Manhattan. And Republicans are already mounting an effort to frame Mr. Bragg as a political hack who is weaponizing his office to take down the former president on behalf of the Democrats. There's the narrative play that we're all familiar with and it isn't too far off. Although if this is as Dawson is thinking and as is making sense to me that it could be part of the templates thing, then Mr. Bragg may not be working as a political hack on behalf of the Democrats. He may actually be doing great damage to them. Now, Important paragraph. One thing seems clear. Mr. Bragg may have been the first local prosecutor to do it, but he will not be the last. Every local prosecutor in the country will now feel that he or she has free reign to criminally investigate and prosecute presidents after they leave office. Democrats currently cheering the charges against Mr. Trump may feel differently if or when A Democrat, perhaps even President Biden, ends up on the receiving end of a similar effort by any of the thousands of prosecutors elected to local office eager to make a name for themselves by prosecuting a former president of the United States. The vast range, breadth, and diversity of criminal laws throughout the country provide plenty of opportunity for mischief. As the Attorney General and future Justice Robert Jackson observed more than 80 years ago, Quote, a prosecutor stands a fair chance of finding at least a technical violation of some act on the part of almost anyone. It is not a question of discovering the commission of a crime and then looking for the man who has committed it. It is a question of picking the man and then searching the law books or putting investigators to work to pin some offense on him. For instance, Hunter Biden is accused of similar conduct, including whether he and his uh, and other family members properly accounted for their business proceeds 
which has attracted the attention of federal investigators and congressional Republicans and could support an investigation under Delaware laws that prohibit falsifying business records and filing false documents with the state. Delaware is a solidly Democratic state, so that particular possibility seems unlikely, but elected prosecutors in large Republican locales could find similarly creative ways to target the family of a Democratic president, particularly if the president, his spouse, or another family member has national or international business and financial dealings in the state. Florida and Texas, for instance, have broad criminal laws on the books that prohibit forms of financial and business improprieties, including criminal fraud statutes that a prosecutor could claim were violated if there is even a suggestion that a president misled someone in the state during a financial transaction or that a president used a financial institution in the state for some questionable dealing. Say he ran a business or nonprofit that arguably inflated his financial condition in order to secure the office space. That could form the basis of an investigation into whether he committed a crime by fraudulently obtaining property or credit. And if someone like the Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, a Republican who is no stranger to accusations of illegal and unethical conduct, could orchestrate such an effort, is there any serious doubt that he would try it? Substantial legal impediments stand in the way of prosecutors who might want to charge a former president for official actions. But there are plenty of areas that remain open for scrutiny even during the presidency. Every president travels throughout the country campaigning, fundraising, and making stops for official business. Say a candidate instructs the motorcade to speed to an event, and it results in a deadly car accident, or he directs organizers to let people into a venue that is over capacity, and someone loses his or her life crushed in the crowd. Are we later going to see an investigation and prosecution for involuntary manslaughter? A statute on the books in Florida makes it a crime to engage in libel. If Mr. Biden leaves office and criticizes Mr. Trump or another prominent Floridian in the state in writing, will he be vulnerable to prosecution? These possibilities are impossible to to fully anticipate. After all, Mr. Trump probably never considered that paying an adult film star to stay quiet using his company's money would make him vulnerable to prosecution in Manhattan. Or did he? But to the extent that there were principled objections to local prosecutors pursuing presidents, they will be significantly less compelling or credible in the future, particularly coming from Democrats. It didn't have to be this way. It did. The most obvious and sensible approach, at least for Mr. Biden, would have been to instruct his attorney general to engage and coordinate with Mr. Bragg and Fannie Willis, the district attorney investigating Mr. Trump in Fulton County, Georgia, assuring them that the Biden Justice Department would conduct thorough criminal investigations concerning Mr. Trump's business dealings and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Federal prosecutors routinely ask state and local prosecutors to step aside when the underlying facts implicate federal laws or federal interest, and they almost always agree. In doing so, Mr. Biden could have not only alleviated the legal uncertainty and controversy that currently surrounds Mr. Trump, he also might have protected himself and his Democratic successors from retribution. But the president does not appear to have taken those steps, leaving both prosecutors with the license and arguably the imperative given their responsibilities to their constituents. 
to pursue Mr. Trump for any questionable conduct in their jurisdiction. There is probably not much that Mr. Biden or other presidents can do to mitigate these risks, except perhaps to try to limit as many of their unofficial activities where they live, vacation, and conduct business or nonprofit work to states and localities that are safely and consistently run by the same party. But that too is a bleak prospect. In America, where presidents avoid states where people disagree with them. In the long run, it might also limit the ability of the Democratic and Republican parties to groom presidential contenders from states that are not safely blue or red. For now, both parties will be advised to keep the temperature down surrounding Mr. Trump's indictment at least so that their constituents do not convince themselves that this should become a part of the standard political toolkit. If Mr. Bragg is, as expected, pursuing a case that revolves around falsified business records, the charges against Mr. Trump will be modest. They will neither prevent him from retaking the White House if he wins re-election, nor result in his extended imprisonment if he is convicted. We should all let the case proceed through the courts until it reaches an orderly resolution and whatever the result, try to chalk it all up to the fact that Mr. Trump never fails to generate strange and unique situations. I really like this uh, opinion piece right here. And um, I want to point out right here, the most obvious and sensible approach at least for Mr. Biden, would have been to instruct the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, to engage and coordinate with Mr. Bragg and Fannie Willis. That didn't happen, did it? You notice how DOJ hasn't gotten in the way of this? You notice how Biden hasn't gotten in the way of this? Telling you guys, Biden doesn't work for the swamp. Near does Merrick Garland. So Trump is supposed to surrender tomorrow. 2.15 or 2.30 p.m. tomorrow, something like that. And then... At 8.15 p.m., he's going to give a speech. And I just got to say, this statement is a perfect tell me this entire thing is coordinated without in time without telling me. Yeah, D82, I'm sure. If you're asking me about Biden and Garland, if that's what you mean by are you sure? Yeah, I'm 100% sure. Um, this entire thing is timed and coordinated. Um, good morning, UK Neil. Um, thank you for the rant. He says, I look back on those Mueller Russiagate hearings now with laughter. That was some amazing acting from Mueller. I agree. I agree. I really enjoy it. (laughs) I really, I really enjoy it. Um, every once in a while I look back at those clips and you start to see how, how the fake news spun it in a way that promoted a certain narrative. Um, but once you know, then you know, and the spell is broken. Um, Iowa Trump said, thank you, Iowa Trump, and good morning. Uh, thank you for subscribing. Uh, 
She says, Kyle, your coverage is spot on and keeps us sane as events are unfolding around us. For those of us who cannot watch research 24-7, it is imperable to be able to trust sources who do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, so we know that we know that there's been some involvement with DOJ, that DOJ has some people in Bragg's office. And I'm kind of open either way on it. I'm open to the idea that they are not so good DOJ people and they're there trying to push Bragg to do this because they have TDS and they're just trying to do anything they can to interrupt Trump. But I also have another, I, I can think I'm thinking about it bicamerally. I have, I can be of two minds at the same time with it. Like it could be that they're bad actors who have been put into that office to try and commit um, prosecutorial misconduct or to uh, push brag into doing this. But it could also be that they aren't actually bad actors and they're there who they're there um, trying to guide this and in a way that's in accordance with the plan. And they're ready to step in at a time when they need to step in and play that Trump card and be like, nope, this guy's one of ours. I, I don't, we don't, we don't know the specifics of the indictment. Of course, no one does. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm agnostic on the DOJ people that were put inside it. And there's this, Trump's made it comments on it a few times. And so have people on, in MAGA that are like, and on Trump's team, they're like, no, see, DOJ is actually running this for Bragg and they're pushing him to do this. And when I hear them say that, that's just confirmation to me that this is part of the plan. Like, I don't hear that and think, oh, that mean battle D DOJ is going after Trump. Like, that's not, that's the, that's the narrative that you're supposed to have. But I, I don't because I know that. Trump is an asset of DOJ. So like I, I find it assuring that DOJ has a presence in Bragg's office. I liked this post from 5D Chesterton. He said, Trump and his allies have worked tire tirelessly over the last several years, establishing narrative and legal frameworks so that what is coming next can be properly understood by a plurality of the public. You just didn't see it because it looked like they were the ones being attacked. Yep. Yep. That's right. Okay, let me close these out. All right, so... There's a story and it says Trump's lawyers believe a Manhattan judge will impose a gag order on Monday that will ban him from talking about his Tuesday arrest in New York City city with a penalty of 30 days jail time or a thousand dollar fine. The Trump legal team now thinks that the Manhattan judge will take the unprecedented step of silencing the presidential front runner with an unconstitutional gag order, a source said. The Trump legal team is considering adding a First Amendment lawyer to the effort to combat this and will fight it all the way. All right, so this is a possibility 
that this could happen. They believe that this guy, the acting Supreme Court justice, now need to clarify in New York, the highest trial court in New York is called the New York Supreme Court. So in relation to this case, when you hear Supreme Court mentioned, they're going to be talking about the New York Supreme Court, okay, not the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS. They're talking about New York Supreme Court. This guy is Juan Merchan, and he, uh, Democrat, um, he had some other stuff that looks like he's pretty much on the, he's pretty on the left and not friendly to Trump. Um, so they're thinking that he's going to put a gag order on him. This gag order will be, well, we'll just have to see if it does happen. It could be narrowed to where it's like, um, where it's like, you can't talk about this case or you can't talk about this arrest or anything related to this case. Um, if he does a gag order where he literally cannot talk to the public at all, I don't see that holding up because President Trump has announced he's running for office. So you can't have you can't have a situation where I mean he may try, but it's gonna it's gonna fail. It'd be quite the show, but you can't have it where a political candidate who has announced they're running is indicted for some BS charges just to get a judge to issue a gag order to shut that political candidate up during the middle of, of a season when they're campaigning. And we don't want that happening because then you're just going to try and find, um, you're, you're just going to, you're just, you're going to have that happening all over the place to try and shut up political candidates. Right? So that starts, that starts a war that you don't want. But it's possible that there will be a gag order on talking about just the arrest and the indictment. And so that could happen. It would be kind of interesting if that did happen, if there was a gag order just for Trump not being able to speak about the arrest and the indictment. Because then he'll go to Mar-a-Lago that night and do his speech and um, he won't be able to address this specifically, but everybody will know what he really wants to talk about. And I could picture that being pretty entertaining because just Trump is entertaining. So I could picture him, how he handles it would be interesting. Um, and then Iowa Trump, that's right. You can't gag his surrogates. So there could be, you could have Trump talking about some issues and then he brings up Rick Grinnell or someone else on stage to talk about the stuff he can't talk about. So, uh, it could be it could be pretty funny. Um, that's right, Arturell. It's all part of the reason Trump announced so early that he was running. Um, I'm not I'm not worried about the gag order thing. Um, it just it's just another layer that could be interesting. By the way, speaking of people who uh, are not turning on Trump who are defend that are coming to his defense, Joe Manchin and Bill Cassidy, who both voted to impeach president Trump are not fans of this indictment. I think they're the first of many 
who are going to stand up and be like, look, I didn't, I voted to impeach the guy, but what, what the Manhattan DA is, is doing isn't right. Something else interesting about this matter. New York law requires that all discovery be produced to criminal defendants within 35 days. So that will be fascinating. If this matter survives that long, then 35 days from now, Trump is going to have all the evidence against him. And, uh, what you want to bet he, he threads about it on truth social. That's one thing like BB and I were talking about it last night on defected that Trump doesn't act at all like someone who's under a criminal investigation. And according to the left-wing media, Trump is under investigation in like six different ways. Like there's like six different cases against him. There's Jack Smith, there's Georgia grand jury, Manhattan grand jury, Trump business organization, like all these different things that are like half a dozen cases against him where if they really were after him, his defense attorneys would be telling him to shut up. Like they would tell him, do not talk anything about this. Don't tweet about it or truth about it. Don't put out statements about it. Don't talk about it at your rallies. Don't talk about it in interviews. Never, ever mention anything having to do with these criminal prosecutions in which you are a target or a defendant. But obviously that's not happening or he's not listening because Trump goes around saying whatever he wants about whatever he wants, which is not the behavior you get from someone who is under criminal investigation, which tells you he's not the target. It tells you he knows he's not the target of these things. All right, last thing on this, uh, one of Trump's attorneys, James Trusty, says, look, this whole thing is ripe for dismissal motions, and we're going to drop some. We expect that we'll file a motion to dismiss within days or weeks of this indictment. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm looking forward to reading this indictment, whoever it's for. All right. I spent a long time on that, that matter. I'm excited, guys. I hope you're excited too. Uh, whatever happens, it's going to be good. Um, real quick, I want to tell you that if you like what I do here, if you enjoy the show, uh, if you enjoy my threads and my writing, um, please share it. That's the best way to support it. Hit the thumbs up on Rumble. That helps me out a lot. And uh, if you want to do more than that, the links are in the description. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash justhuman keep my coffee cup full, keep me caffeinated. Um, you can go to my Substack, and, uh, on my Substack, everything on there is free. So if you just want to sign up, 
you can go there and do that. It's for everything on there is free. And that's where I put my podcast out. I put a po- there's a podcast version of this show, which I send out a few hours after the show is over. Um, but you can subscribe to my Substack, justhuman.substack.com. You can do a free subscription or you can do a paid one. Those two ways, the Substack and the Buy Me a Coffee are the best ways to support the show because the vast majority of your dollar actually makes it to me. Something like 95 cents out of every dollar actually winds up going to me. So um, those are the best ways. But you can also do other things that get you something in return. I have a merch store, redwhiteandbourbon45.com, where you can buy some merch. The coffee cup, the coffee cup is especially a good product. I will tell you, it is a large coffee mug, and it is a very good one. I love it. And bensonhoneyfarms.com. Use rep code just human. Get yourself some good honey. Get yourself some homemade soap um, and other products that they have. Which I've had all their products. They're great. So if you want to support me and you want something sweet in return, bensonhoneyfarms.com, rep code just human. All right. Three stories real quick before I get into Mackie. One, in the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News, the judge has ruled that it's going to trial. Sweet. Sweet. This will be fun. This lawsuit has already been fun. It's provided all sorts of interesting things. And uh, it's a $1.6 billion lawsuit against Fox News saying that they promoted theories that were damaging to uh, Dominion voting and their business. And they did so and they acted with actual malice is what they're alleging. And they want $1.6 billion. This case is really interesting. And what I think is uh, kind of, kind of, tantalizing about it is what does this mean for news outlets that promoted the steel dossier or the alpha bank hoax and promoted all those theories for years on end about Trump and collusion and all these things. Um, how about they get sued for promoting that stuff? I like it. Um, and I, whatever comes out, whatever comes out from this case, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. So I don't mind, I don't mind them fighting each other. Um, another piece of news, Biden special counsel, Robert Hur has added some Trump era attorneys to his probe. And I think that you can expect the news media is going to be talking about how Robert Hur is crooked and he's one of Trump's guys and he's going after Biden and they won't be that wrong about it, but he's added, um, Virginia Bruner, a former career federal prosecutor who worked with uh crick bomb is the name. Okay. Wait, hold up. Let me go back to this paragraph. Special counsel, Robert Hur hired Mark crick bomb, a former U S attorney in Iowa and Daniel Loveland, who served as counsel for former deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, according to people familiar with the matter. Her's team includes Virginia Bruner, a former career federal prosecutor who worked with Crickbaum in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Des Moines, 
as well as detailed assistance from Maryland U.S. Attorney's Office, the people said. Her had other attorneys and FBI agents on his team as well. The Justice Department ordered a preliminary investigation, blah, 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 blah. A spokesperson person for her's office declined to comment. Bruner Loveland Crickbaum didn't immediately respond to messages for comments either. But it looks like Robert K. Herr is expanding his team, and that's really good news because, and I forgot to bookmark this for today's show, but let me scroll right back and show you guys. I think this news broke last Wednesday. Robert K. Herr adding all these people to his team is extra notable when you... Keep in mind that recently, where is it at? Oh, I got a lot of scrolling to do. When you keep in mind that recently, Robert K. Herr, no, that's it right there. That's not it. That's not it. Where does it go? Where did it go? This, aha, from March 30th. The National Archives provided 1,170 pages of Biden's vice presidential records to the special counsel. So special counsel Her has a lot of records to sort through, and it's a good thing he's hired all these people to help him do it. By the way, National Archives said they also don't have in their custody a number of other records. So it's not just 1,170. It's actually more than that. Um, that's a lot of evidence. It's a lot of evidence. All right. Next. This is kind of a uh, understanding is greater than reacting type story right here. The headline from Just the News is Las Vegas shooter, that'd be Stephen Paddock, may have felt he was treated unfairly by casinos according to FBI documents. Okay, that's the headline. And if you just react to that headline, then you're going to miss what was really interesting in this. You're missing the point of the story. And the point of the story is found in paragraph three. Documents made public this week in response to open records request from the Wall Street Journal state the shooter, Stephen Paddock, may have snapped due to the reduction of red carpet treatment he was used to getting from casinos. Well, this right here, this idea of Stephen Paddock snapping because he wasn't treated well by casinos anymore isn't actually the point of the story, in my opinion. Or at least it's not the most significant thing in this story. What is significant is this right here. We have just received 314 pages of documents on Stephen Paddock in this part. And 316 pages over here. So that's 600 
and 30 pages, right? 630 pages of documents in regards to Stephen Paddock. And if you just react to this news, if you just react to the headline, oh, that's BS. He didn't snap because he was treated unfairly. That's stupid. The FBI is covering it up. If that's your reaction, I'm sorry, but that's dumb. You should have opened the article and looked to see what was actually inside it and what it was based on because over 600 pages of documents has, have been published related to that event. And when you go through these documents, as I did this weekend, I've gone through them twice this weekend, you find some really interesting things. You find out that something like 38 fingerprints, 38 individuals fingerprints have been collected as part of this investigation. You find that there have been requests to embassies in other countries for information on individuals who the FBI believes are connected to Stephen Paddock and what he did in Las Vegas. You find out that Stephen Paddock sent one of the firearms he used in the shooting off to the manufacturer for a recall on a specific part on that firearm, and that when that firearm part was sent back to him, someone had to sign for it, an adult. And the adult who signed for it wasn't Stephen Paddock. But the reports are that Stephen Paddock lived alone. So who signed for the firearm? You find out that his neighbor said that he was a total recluse, kept his windows blacked out, never came out in the day, always wore gloves, and always had fresh, fresh air filters. You find out that somebody tried to access his room at the hotel right before the shooting. There's a lot of interesting information in these documents, but if you just react to the headline, you're going to miss all that. And it's a lesson in not reacting to the headline. Instead, open it up and look and see what the headline is based on and where this idea comes from. And if you go in there, you'll find that there were, there's one person who says that Stephen Paddock complained to them about how he was being treated at casinos. And that's that one statement is the basis for this headline. But if you go and look at the documents, you find out that's just one piece of what is in these documents. I'll tell you what's most fascinating to me. What's most fascinating to me is that there are receipts in these documents for what Stephen Paddock cashed out at casinos in here. It's not all of the casinos he visited. It's a number of casinos. There's specific ones that are in here. And... You find out that um, the payouts he's getting at these casinos don't match what his income is reported to be. So his he's he was estimated to be worth $5 million. And 
people who knew of him said that he always walked around or commonly walked around with tens of thousands of dollars of cash on him. And um, he would gamble hundreds of dollars at a time. But the receipts on here show someone who is either losing money at casinos or isn't pulling that much out. So how did he manage to be worth $5 million? And going over so and reading all these documents, um, like this person right here said they believed he may be a professional gambler because they thought he looked familiar and they had seen him at the at the place, but at different gambling places. But I came away with it thinking, I don't think this guy actually was a professional gambler as a source of income. I think this guy did something else for his primary income and gambling was a cover for that. A very convenient cover and it makes a lot of sense. You can go in and you can gamble a lot and you're there at this location sitting at these machines, putting hundreds of dollars in a time and, um, that's your excuse for carrying around so much cash on yourself and um, those types of things that your lifestyle, that's your excuse for your lifestyle and everything is you're, you're a professional gambler. But while you're sitting at those machines, other people come around and play those machines too. And maybe those people that come and sit next to you for a few minutes at a time while you're playing, you engage in a conversation with them that has to do with the real business that you're in. And good morning, nobody you know 17. That is exactly what I have thought since the shooting happened. That Paddock was an arms dealer. I have th since that since this event happened and we found out how many guns he had in that room, I think he was an arms dealer who was running guns and the gambling thing was a cover for that and that in that hotel he was that day he was set up to do an arms deal and the people who came to buy the arms their plan was different so everybody saying he was a patsy yeah yeah i think he was that too i think he was an arms dealer he was doing an arms deal in that hotel and the people who showed up to buy it, to buy the guns, weren't there to buy them. They were there to use them. And everything went sideways. And so, yeah, he was there and he was their pay. He became their patsy at that moment. You also find out in these documents that S Stephen Paddock didn't want the room he was in. He wanted to be higher up, as in on the floors that were owned by Awalid. But he was refused those floors. He was and he was mad about it and complained about it. Um, you also find out he used to work as a security guard. And a number of other things. There's little crumbs in here that perfectly match up with the Q drop that that talks about this event. So um, I'm not gonna dig all these through all through all this right now. I may thread later on some of the interesting things I found in here. I haven't decided because 
people are just so polarized on this issue. I mean, basically every comment I got on my shares of this post were just people yelling about how, I mean, this shout out to Timmy B for, for, uh, saying, thank you for sharing this. That was a better comment, but a lot of people were like, this is BS. He's a, this is a cover up. FBI lies. Nobody can believe the FBI. Who cares? Like all this sort of reactionary takes. And it's just a lesson in how understanding is better than reacting. It's greater than reacting. There's good stuff in these, in these, or yeah, there's good stuff in here. I mean, why is the FBI, why is the FBI fingerprinting 38 people? Why is the FBI fingerprinting 38 people in relation to this, this event? Why are they sending requests to other countries asking for information on individuals they believe may be connecting to connected to this event? It tells you there's a lot more going on. All right. Mackie, let me go ahead and get myself in trouble. I only got a few minutes to do it, so... Um, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself in trouble and upset some people with my take on this. And then I'm going to end the show. <laughs> um, all right. I was interested in this case. Um, because it was alleged to be a case about memes and people were saying that this is, Biden's corrupt DOJ going after MAGA meme makers. Uh, this indictment came down against Mackey. If you don't know who Mackey is, um, Douglas Mackey um, was a popular Twitter user, had multiple accounts, was banned several times. He made a lot of memes. He had a he had 58,000 followers on one of his larger accounts or I think probably his largest account, but he had other accounts in addition to that. And he was indicted um, in January of 2021, right after Biden took office. And Conserv Con Inc. and MAGA Media seized on this as being a um, an attack on MAGA meme makers, an attack on the First Amendment. This is the crooked Biden DOJ going after Trump supporters, all the usual narrative work that you hear. Okay. His trial just happened. He was convicted. This is what the conviction says. In 2016, Mackey established an audience on Twitter with approximately 58,000 followers. A February 2016 analysis by the MIT Media Lab ranked Mackey as the 107th most important influencer of the then upcoming presidential election. As proven at trial between September 2016 and November 2016, Mackey conspired with other influential, influential Twitter users and with members of private online groups to use social media platforms, including Twitter, 
to disseminate fraudulent messages that encouraged supporters of presidential candidate Hillary Clinton to vote via text or social media, which in reality was legally invalid. For example, on November 1st, 2016, in or around the same time that Mackey was sending tweets suggesting the importance of limiting black turnout, the defendant tweeted an image depicting an African-American woman standing in front of an African-Americans for Hillary sign. The ad stated, avoid the line, vote from home, text Hillary to 59925, and vote for Hillary and be part of history. The fine print at the bottom of the deceptive image stated, quote, must be 18 or older to vote, one vote per person, must be a legal resident or citizen of the United States, voting by text not available in Guam, Puerto Rico, Alaska, or Hawaii, paid for by Hillary for President 2016. The tweet included the typed hashtag, I'm with her, a slogan frequently used by Hillary Clinton. On or about before Election Day 2016, at least 4,900 unique telephone numbers texted Hillary or some derivative to the 59925 text number, which had been used in multiple deceptive campaign images tweeted by Mackey and his co-conspirators. Several hours after tweeting the first image, Mackey tweeted an image depicting a woman seated at a conference room typing a message on her cell phone. This deceptive image was written in Spanish and mimicked a font used by the Clinton campaign in authentic ads. The image also included a copy of the Clinton campaign's logo, I'm with her, and the I'm with her hashtag. And I have to say, guys, seeing that this guy was convicted, I'm saying good. I'm not going to play teams on this one. I don't care that he supported Trump over Hillary. I care that he broke the law and that he set out to and did make an effort to trick, deceive, and ultimately deprive people of their right to vote. This isn't about memes. And I'm actually quite, well, this weekend I was pissed because so many and conservative incorporated media were saying that this case was about memes and was about the First Amendment. And they are wrong. And they are lying to you. And I had so many people send me clips. No, Tucker said this. No, so-and-so said this. You need to watch this segment that so-and-so did on this. And I did watch some of those segments. And you know what those segments didn't include? They didn't include what he did. This is one of those ads. This is not a meme. This is a fraudulent campaign ad with a working number that 4,900 plus people texted a vote to or thought they texted a vote to. This is not a meme. This is a fraudulent campaign ad with a working text number. This is not a meme. This is a fraudulent campaign ad. The company that had the text number that operated it, iVision Mobile, reported that 4,900 plus unique telephone numbers sent 
Hillary's name or something similar to it to that number. And that 99% of those people sent it after Mackie tweeted out the images that I just showed you. Now, a lot of people on our side, a lot of people in conservative incorporated media will tell you that they care about election fraud and that they don't like election fraud and they want DOJ and government to do something about it and they want people held to account when they commit election fraud. But on this matter, they're lying to you and saying that it's about memes when it's actually about election fraud. If you paid attention to the case, you notice messages between Mackey and others in his group who made these ads where they tell each other, make sure you match the color of the image to the colors that Hillary actually uses in her campaign ads. Make sure you use the same font. Make sure you use the same style of images and composition. Make sure you include her logo and the disclaimer at the bottom. There's also messages where he talked just before he did this one in the internal group where he's talking about how we can win, but we have to make sure that we limit black turnout. And then they came up with this image to try and trick African-American voters into texting their vote, which would mean they didn't turn out on election day to vote for Hillary, thus reducing the turnout of votes for Hillary. This isn't about memes. This isn't about the First Amendment. This is about a conspiracy. This is what he's charged with. He was charged with a conspiracy to deprive people of their rights. And that's what he did. And I very strongly feel that if this was a fake ad for Trump voters to send a message to a working number to vote for Trump, or if this was about fake ballot drop boxes that advertise just for Trump voters, I think a lot of people would have a different take on it than they have. If you care about election fraud, then you should care about election fraud, not election fraud when only one side does it. It should be about election fraud, period. Now, among the responses I got to this, there were a lot of mean ones, a lot of nasty ones. But one of the most common was to share this with me. And to say, well, what about this person? What about Christina Wong? Her tweet is still up, and she told Trump voters to do the exact same thing. I can tell you the difference. These are not the same things. Christina Wong is a comedian, and she says so in her profile. 
Christina Wong is a leftist and she makes that known. She doesn't hide that at all. Everyone who follows her knows that she is a leftist and that she hates Donald Trump. So when she posted this message about voting for Trump via text and skipping the lines, people understood that it was a joke because it's coming from someone who is known to be a leftist and who hates Trump. It said, she says so on her account. It was obvious that it was satire. The other difference with this is that there isn't a working number. She didn't go through the effort to do what Mackie did. She recorded a video with her phone making satire about, oh, text votes are legit. Vote tomorrow or Super Wednesday. She says in the video, oh, I've changed my mind. I've now decided I'm on Team Trump. After months and months and months of not being on Team Trump. It was very obvious that this was satire. And the key differences here really matter. Christina Wong didn't start a chat group with other people and decide to create fake campaign ads that were meant to look like Trump ads paid for by the Trump campaign with a working text number to deceive people into actually voting by text. She didn't do anything like this. And if you can't see the difference between this and this and this, and there's also a Spanish language one that is out there that I don't have an image of. If you can't see the difference between those and this right here, then I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, this is one of those stories that it got, it really got under my skin. It really ticked me off. Not, not, not people responding to me. That didn't tick me off. Nobody who's, who said nasty things to me or any of the stuff or tried to argue with me or any of that. None of that, none of that got under my skin or ticked me off. What, what made me literally angry was to see how many people in conservative incorporated media, how many conservative influencers straight up lied to their audiences about this case and talked about it without actually telling you anything about it. Just used hyperbole and said it's bad DOJ, Biden's corrupt FBI, going after MAGA, trying to scare people away from making memes. Somebody's going to prison because of memes. All of this stuff. It That is what really ticked me off. I can deal with them and some of their fake news and their interpretation and their narratives that they go with and all that kind of stuff. I can deal with it even though I mock it sometimes or roll my eyes or whatever. 
but it's the fact that they were so many of them straight up lied about this case. That's what really made me angry and still does. Um, and one last thing about it, a lot of people have said, well, 10 years is a little much. I don't think you should get 10 years for, for making this. It's, he hasn't gotten anything. He hasn't got, he hasn't been sentenced yet. The, the federal, um, the, 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 the max punishment is 10 years. He'll probably get a year and a fine, you know, like one to three years a fine and that'll be it. I also want to um, give a shout out to Brian Cates because um, he backed me up on this and didn't fall for the fake news about it or the lies. Actually, the lies. They're not even. It's not even fake news. It's just straight up, um, straight up falsehood. So that is my last show. Is my uh, last segment for this show. And that is the wrong screen. Hold up, hold up. There we go. There's the right screen. All right. So I hate fake news and I really hate it when people lie. I really, really hate lying. I just, oh, makes me so angry. All right. Folks, thank you very much for uh, being here today. Really appreciate it. And um, I'm looking forward to tomorrow um, again. As soon as that indictment comes out, I'm going to grab it and read it. Um, if it comes out tonight, I may even go live tonight to read the whole thing tonight, but um, I may save it for Wednesday morning show. I'm not sure yet. Going to play it by ear depending on when it comes out. And also, um, I, sh I should be live tomorrow evening when Trump does the um, speech from Mar-a-Lago after supposedly getting arrested and taking the mugshot photo. Um, I'll be live on Badlands. I think it's going to be me and John, and I don't know who else. I don't know who else is going to be on that stream, but we're planning on going live tomorrow to cover that Mar-a-Lago speech. Um, so God bless each and every one of you. Y'all stay positive today. And remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. God bless. Y'all have a great Monday.